0: This is the eLearn Podcast. If you're passionate about the future of learning, you're in the right place. The expert guests on this show provide insights into the latest strategies, practices, and technologies for creating killer online learning outcomes. My name's Laddick, and I'm your host from OpenLMS. The
1: eLearning Podcast is sponsored by the eLearn Success Series, a uniquely valuable set of events that bring together sector experts and thought leaders to offer solutions to the most critical challenges and issues at the intersection of education and technology. Get your free ticket to all four sessions at elearnsuccessseries.com and Open LMS. A company that provides world-class lms solutions that empower organizations to meet education and workplace learning needs learn more by visiting openlms.net
0: hello everyone my name is Laddick and my guest for today is dr puja agarwal an assistant professor at the berkeley college of music an expert in cognitive science and an author of the book powerful teaching as well as the website retrievalpractice.org In this very practical conversation, Dr. Agarwal and I talk about how she has created a foundation to think about education as a process of getting learning out rather than into the heads of learners. We also talk about the four power tools for learning that she details in her book, which include retrieval practice, spacing, interleaving, and feedback-driven metacognition. We also talk about why easy learning is also easy forgetting. In other words, why cramming never really works and why retrieval is absolutely critical for long-term learning and how to ensure that retrieval practice also results in synthesis of learning. And finally, we end our conversation with why you should always ask learners what they remember rather than reminding them what you've already covered in your class. And remember, we record this podcast live so that we can interact with you, our listeners, in real time. If you'd like to join the fun every week on LinkedIn, Facebook, or YouTube, just come over to eLearnMagazine.com and subscribe. And now I give you Dr. Pooja Agarwal. Hello, Dr. Agarwal. Welcome to the eLearn Podcast. How are you today? I'm
1: good. Thank you so much for having me.
0: My pleasure. Tell me, you know, everybody's always interested. Where are you sitting today? (laughs)
1: I am sitting in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, I live right in the middle of the city. So I wake up every morning with construction and restaurants and people on the street. And I love the urban setting. It is so much fun. I've been here for about eight years.
0: Super cool. Yeah, I know. I know you're an assistant professor at the Berklee College of Music. Uh, I assume that is the reason why you're in Boston there. Um, And so that's fantastic. I think I wanted to go to Berklee. A hundred years ago, Ooh. yeah, but that, thats a whole story for a different time. Um, you are uh, well known for your research on cognitive sciences and you know helping teachers to do their job better. Uh, you wrote a book called "Powerful Teaching." Um, I, I wanted to talk to you about that and really actually talk to you about some of these, you know, fundamental strategies really that teachers can use to actually be better teachers and and improve learner outcomes. I, the, the thing that I, I wanted to compliment you on to start this conversation was you actually also run a website called retrievalpractice.org. And I thought it was really cool that the quote that's right on the front there was, when we think about learning, we typically focus on getting information into students' heads. And maybe we should think about getting it out of their heads. Yeah. I, it's brilliant. Like, talk to me about that for like two seconds.
1: Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, um, on retrievalpractice.org, we've got that quote and in our book, as you mentioned, Powerful Teaching. It really helps set this kind of foundation for the way we think about learning. And uh, one analogy I like to use actually comes from my music students at the Berkeley College of Music. So I teach psychology and neuroscience at a music school, but I'm not a musician. Um, So if anyone listening has seen the movie Coda that won the, Hmm. the Oscar recently, that is about Berkeley. The main star wants to go to the Berkeley College of Music in Boston anyway. So when I think about musicians, it's inherent in what they do is to get information out. They have Mm. to practice their instruments. They have to play in front of people. They have to gig. That's constantly getting information out of their heads. In liberal arts, often we focus on getting information in. We're cramming. We're listening to lectures. We are rereading books. And my music students understand this distinction, that they have to practice their instruments. And all students we know have to practice their knowledge as well. We can't just focus on getting it into their heads. We need to help them practice and get that information out of their heads as well.
0: Hey there. Thanks again for joining me for this episode of the eLearn Podcast. I'm jumping in here quickly to request that if you like what you're hearing, If it's valuable, if it's fun, if it's informative, you know, if if you're really enjoying what's going on, please do me the favor of subscribing to the podcast on your favorite player. Whatever you're using now, just just hit subscribe. And I encourage you to join my future conversations live every week on YouTube, Facebook or my LinkedIn feed. Thanks in advance. And now back to the show. So take me to in your book you know, I've, I've, I've read some of the reviews, I, I've, I've skimmed it myself. And, you know, like one of the things I found really interesting was that people said, look, this is ultra practical stuff, right? It's, it takes us back to the fundamentals of, you know, how can we be effective teachers and, 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 and educators? Um, so I guess, you know, right off the top, what, like, what are those four tools? Can you just give us a quick overview of those four tools that you, that you worked through?
1: Sure. So in powerful teaching, we mention what we call power tools. And there are four of the most robust uh, strategies based on the science of learning going back 100 years. So, of the four strategies, the first one is retrieval practice, simply retrieving, pulling information out of our heads. The second power tool is spacing, how um, it improves students' learning when they space out their studying. And when we space out our teaching, so we know that when students cram for an exam, you probably have this experience as well, students cram for an exam, they maybe get an A, and then they forget it all. I've never
0: been guilty of that ever, ever. I've never done (laughs) that. Me
1: neither. Me neither. (laughs) But when students space out their learning, just like my music students have to practice over weeks and over months, that spacing improves learning. So we've got retrieval practice, spacing. The third one is called interleaving. It's kind of like mixing up similar concepts. So one example is when I recently took Spanish. I'm always trying to improve my Spanish. And when I took the class, we spent a lot of time trying to memorize the names of fruits and then the names of vegetables and then the names of household objects. And in that structure, in that class, we just kind of went unit by unit. And with interleaving, it would be taking all those nouns and mixing them up, Mm -hmm. helping students retrieve what is the name, what is the noun for table in Spanish, And then to kind of intentionally make it challenging for students by saying, "Okay, now what do you call a carrot and what do you call a watermelon? So switching between those different nouns and mixing them up helps students learn and remember more than just doing one unit after one unit after one unit. So that's interleaving. And then the last one we call feedback driven metacognition. So all of us as professors, we give students feedback. That's a big part of our teaching. Um, And the next step to giving students feedback is metacognition. It's thinking about their own thinking. Mm -hmm. So the the kind of phrase like, that's so meta. (laughs) is where this phrase comes from, thinking about our own thinking. So it's one thing to ask a student to retrieve something they learned in class last week. That's retrieval practice. Then we give them feedback. Oh, cool. We did you know, talk about that in class last week, or oops, you forgot, we also talked about this other thing. That's feedback. Metacognition is asking students, how confident are you that you remember that well? How much are you understanding what you're learning right now? How well do you think you'll be able to share or talk about this concept in class next week? So it's taking that feedback to the next step, not just did I get it right or wrong, but also, how confident am I? Am I sure about my learning when it comes to that concept? So those are the four power tools from
0: powerful teaching. Awesome. Across all four of them, two, two observations. And I'm, I'm wondering if I got it right. Well, an observation and a story. First... As many, most people know, I live in Mexico city here. That's where we're talking right now. And so I've been, you know, working on my Spanish every day. And, and, and it's the exact same thing that I've found that I have improved more radically in Spanish when it's not in the classroom. Hey, here's the nouns, here's the phrases. But then it's like when I'm in that painful discussion Conversation with you know at the taco stand or whatever, and it's like I have to actually pull it out and I start to make those connections myself, like oh that verb goes with this or here's that conjugation or whatever.
1: Right, right. We often learn all the conjugations in order.
0: Right, but exactly in
1: conversation, we're suddenly have to switch between the the past and the future and the say I've already forgotten the near (laughs) past
0: and the the way. Don't get me started about reflexive verbs. Reflexive (laughs) verbs. I guess like hey wait. Uh, And then the second thing I've noticed about the power tools was that. It, it, tell me if I have this wrong, does the science say that, you know, actually a little bit of chaos, intentional chaos is actually what we need in order to, maybe this is metacognition, pull out those things that are important and then think to ourselves, oh, wait, I, I really want to remember that one. And so it kind of puts it in a different place in memory or do I have that wrong?
1: No, you're correct. Exactly. Just like how conversations you, you had just said are challenging in the moment. Mm -hmm. We know from all this research that challenging students' learning is what's going to help make it stick. Mm. Another way to put it is easy learning is easy forgetting. Mm. That's why cramming works in the short term. It's cramming stuff in for the purpose of doing well on a test, and then you forget it all. That's easy learning. When we challenge students, when we ask them to mentally travel back, what did I learn in class last week? That added struggle we also call a desirable difficulty is what helps boost learning. So sometimes another way I put it is that one of the first stages of learning we call encoding, that's getting information into students' heads. We hope it sticks around or it gets stored somewhere in there. And then the next step after that is retrieving. Students pull that information out. What is so fascinating and both intuitive and counterintuitive is that that third stage, the retrieval stage, the challenging stage is what boosts learning. Mm. There's encoding you have to do, but it's that third stage after the encoding and storage, the retrieval stage, that challenge, you call it chaos. (laughs) That's what (laughs) helps students really uh, remember and transfer that knowledge to new information as well.
0: So going down that new information path, and I hope this isn't not isn't too much of a curveball, but where does that then take us to synthesis? Because I'm thinking of you know if we're all professors here, I mean that's the majority of people listening right now. We're talking about more complex topics. This isn't multiplication tables and you know the rudimentary math or, or those kinds of things. This is let's bring these concepts together to talk about a social situation in complexity, or let's talk about uh you know the, the body as a whole and, and and holistic you know holistic health those kinds of things where do we go for synth- where, we, where where does that take us with synthesis
1: that is such an important question because i can completely understand how this retrieval all sounds like memorization or we've talked about spanish vocabulary there's been a lot more research on retrieval practice in authentic classrooms so my colleagues and i looked at more than 50 experiments in authentic classrooms ranging from K-12 to college to higher ed. And one example um, that multiple experiments showed is that retrieval practice helps medical students diagnose neurology disorders. Hmm. It helps medical students perform CPR. Hmm. It helps college students transfer their knowledge, let's say from understanding how bat wings work, wings on bats literally, to transferring that to understanding the wings on an airplane, and why that causes lift. So we know from this research, especially early research, was done with very basic vocabulary. But now we have a richer understanding that practicing knowledge helps students do CPR.
0: Mm. I think that makes Mm -hmm. sense, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, I've also done a lot of research looking at Bloom's Taxonomy, I assume most listeners have heard of that or familiar with it, right? And oftentimes, Bloom's taxonomy, we're told that we have to start at the bottom of the little triangle or pyramid, which was never actually in the original article, by the way. In 1956, there is no triangle. Um, But we're told, you know, as we're getting trained or as we're teaching, to start at the bottom, the, the, knowledge, memory, bottom, and move our way up to that synthesis, that analysis, that transfer. And research I've done kind of takes that triangle and flips it over. Mm. With retrieval practice, we can ask students to immediately start transferring information. So with my college students, you just learned about this nerdy concept called the serial position effect. How does that apply in music when you're learning new sheet music? And that's immediate transfer. I'm not asking them to memorize the definition of that concept. I'm not asking them um, questions where it is completely out of left field. You said curveball. (laughs) Um, We can immediately trust and challenge students with those transfer questions. So retrieval practice does help basic memorization, but simply practicing our knowledge helps us understand all kinds of complex information as well.
0: Super cool. I know, uh, I know your time is short here. I want to, I want to kind of give you the stage here in asking you like, what are maybe one or two practical ways that as a teacher that I can put this into my class or, you know, I can, I can walk away from this conversation we're having right now, obviously go buy your book and then, uh, you know, and like use it. like, and, and you gave us one example there, flipping Bloom's taxonomy, which incidentally, I think it's just named Bloom's. Like there was like 15 different people who worked on it. But anyway, um, you know, what could, what could we do in the classroom, whether it's K through 12, whether it's corporate learning, whatever, to make this a reality?
1: One of the simplest is the example we've already talked about is simply asking students, what did they learn yesterday? What did they learn last week? What did they learn from a previous unit on, in my class, childhood development? which is different from us just simply saying, all right, class, here's what we covered last week. Or imagining corporate learning so often, uh, even sitting in meetings, we start meetings by saying, all right, here's what we covered in the last meeting. Here are the minutes. And now we'll get into what we have to talk about today. Just start a meeting by, say, by asking, what did we do instead of telling what mm-hmm. we did. Mm-hmm. so I think that's one of the simplest ways. And so when it comes to an LMS, you can ask this embedded in forms or in a chat, or of course, in a discussion board. I use a lot of Google forms and I use a video platform called mm-hmm. Um, but it's so flexible. And it's such a simple question is to just ask people what they remember instead of telling them what you already covered. So that's one of the simplest strategies. Um, another one that I really enjoy using with my college students is if I'm embedding a video, for example, in my LMS, I have students watch the video and I used to say, what are two things you learned from this video? Which is a good retrieval practice prompt. But I found students saying, "You know, the host in the video is wearing a green shirt or (laughs) picking out nonsense (laughs) information, right? right? So instead I'll say, here are the concepts that are covered in the video, Just hear the names of them. I'm not going to define them for you. Hear the names. Give me an example of how this relates to your own life. That's it. We already do that as good teachers. It's the intention behind making sure students are taking a concept and applying it without just spoon feeding the definition for them. So those would be two strategies I'd recommend.
0: Fantastic. Excellent. I think, you know, if I were to speak to also just like parents of like K through 12, like I just realized that. While you were sort of talking about the retrieval practice, something my wife and I do at the dinner tables, we, we always say, What did you learn? You know, give us one thing that you learned in school today. It just sounds like that's a good retrieval practice for younger people to just bring it back to the table, you know, bring it back into front of mind so that you know it would help. That's kind of
1: cool. I would add one extra challenge to exactly that. We talked about the importance of challenging students' learning. Is sometimes you might ask your kid, like, what did you learn in school today? And they say, Nothing,
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm, of course, absolutely 100%.
1: (laughs) And added challenges to say, What do you remember from school yesterday? Mm. Instead of, What did you learn today? It's so fresh that it's not fun to even think about or talk about. But if you ask your child, What do you remember? or What did you learn yesterday? now you're incorporating retrieval practice and spacing. Students have had a little time to forget, and now there's like this, Oh crap. What did I learn in school yesterday? And a lot of kids, when I ask them this question, you'll see them light up because they enjoy this challenge of having to think back. It's the same struggle I get when I try to remember what I did last weekend, mm-hmm. that I, I honestly have to look at my calendar. I, it takes me a while to engage in that mental struggle. So think about asking your child instead of what did you learned in school today is to add a boost, add a challenge by saying, what did you learn yesterday?
0: Super cool. I, I'm glad that I, I snuck in a third. <laughs> third Thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Agarwal. I really, really appreciate it. And I wish you all the best um, and looking forward to the next book.
1: Great. Thank you so much. It was a
0: pleasure. Thanks again for joining me for the eLearn podcast. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. Just Just push subscribe on your player right now. And remember, you can join the conversation live on YouTube, Facebook, and my LinkedIn feed every week. I hope to see you there. Thanks.